Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of cedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. There you have Psalm 120, the first of a collection of, uh, of psalms called the Songs of Ascents. And today we are uh, beginning a new series, um, a new journey, if you like, through, through these psalms. We'll go from Psalm 120 uh, right the way through to Psalm 134, possibly Psalm 135, because they're real good. Um, and these were psalms that, if you like, were... Um, were sung by God's people when they were going on pilgrimage. Well, what's pilgrimage? Pilgrimage is the journey from home to, uh, to Jerusalem when one of the big festivals was happening. So Jesus would have been familiar with doing this, with going on pilgrimage and singing these songs. We know that he uh, was a young boy and he went with his family to uh, Jerusalem it probably also just went as part of not just a, a, a family group, but um, his village, his town, all going up together um, for the great feasts, the great festivals, the great celebrations in Jerusalem. And when we've been in Mark's Gospel recently, just before Easter, we saw that he was arriving in Jerusalem, uh, having travelled with his disciples. And everyone's going up um, to Jerusalem then, on that occasion, for the Passover um, and over at Easter time in particular, we looked at what actually um, happened to uh, Jesus and for our great uh, benefit that Passover uh, weekend. Uh, so Jesus would have been familiar with these, uh, with these songs and they're encouraging for us too in, in walking with God and learning to, to walk with him. We're uh, on a journey um, and to a heavenly destination and in the meantime, we're learning to walk with him and, and honor him. And these psalms can be a real source of uh, encouragement and help, maybe even challenge and provocation um, as well, as we learn to, to walk with God. So today, I have the purpose really of trying to introduce the whole series and talk about this particular psalm. Um, so we're going to mention a few things uh, Broadly to begin with, to bear in mind, not only today, but on the other occasions when we look at these psalms, before uh, just drawing a couple of points from Psalm uh, 120 in particular. And even as we've been, been worshipping, we've been reminded of the great privilege of what it means to be a, a people together who belong to God. Uh, a people who God has chosen by grace, and God has intervened, and God has rescued, um, and God has, has, has said, you're mine forever, and I love you. We've got the privilege of being not just uh, individuals saved by grace, but a people together, uh, known by God and know, knowing him. And uh, there's a few things that we can see uh, through these psalms, and this one in particular, Psalm 120, about what it means to be God's people. And the first is this. God's people are a singing people. Uh, God's people are singing. Um, 
stating the obvious, really, when you're in the Psalms, but singing is a response to God. The people are singing as they're going on this journey, not to impress God. We're not, they're not going up to Jerusalem to, to, to earn back, to pay back, to win back some kind of favor. If we put in this effort, um, if we go on this journey, uh, he'll give us his favor. And sometimes the word pilgrimage can have a very religious feel, that that's what people are doing. They're going on this journey in the hope that God might like them, uh, in, the, in the hope that they might win some approval. Um, but singing is a response to the fact that God has already given his favor. He's already given his approval. He's already chosen by grace. Um, and so it's a, uh, from the heart come songs of joy and celebration. Do you know where the first song in the Bible is? The first song. Okay. Which, which book of the Bible do you think the first song is in? Genesis? I don't think it is. Exodus. Well, well done, everybody. Um, <laughs> chapter 15. Uh, Moses and then Miriam lead the people in a big song. Why do they sing at that point for the first time, perhaps? The first time in the Bible that a song is recorded in Acts chapter 15. What's just happened before that? They've been rescued. They've come through the Red Sea. They've seen what God has done for them. He said, wow, what an amazing God that he should love us so much that he was prepared to do so much to reach out his mighty right hand, defeat Pharaoh, open up this Red Sea, lead us into uh, his promise and uh, leading ahead into a promised land. We've seen his enemies utterly defeated and dealt with. Wow, of course the people sing. And so that's what's happening here. Um, singing is a response to the wonderful mercy of God that we've just been singing about this morning. It's also, singing is a group activity. Well, it doesn't have to be, but this is what's happening here. And often, singing is a way of saying who we are, and what's our story, and where have we come from, and we're identifying as a people together. And perhaps if you've gone on a school trip, um, or a scout trip, or a guide trip, or you've gone to uh, a summer festival with a big group like uh, New Day, you're on a coach, praise the Lord, you don't have to walk, um, you're on a coach and someone pipes up, everywhere we go, people all around us, oh hang on a minute, have I got that wrong? People always ask us who we are, where we come from. So we tell them, we're from Sheffield, mighty, mighty Sheffield, and if they can't hear us, we shout it louder. So it's a people together, on the same coach, doing the same journey, looking back, enjoying the journey, and looking forward to where they're heading, and saying, look, we're doing this together. Um, we're together. And obviously, uh, there are other more poignant examples, even recently this, this week, of people identifying together. What's our story? Who are we? What's happened? Where are we headed? And this week, we've had um, uh, families and supporters of Liverpool Football Club singing You'll Never Walk Alone, kind of you know, identifying themselves together. And 
in a poignant moment of heartache, actually giving thanks for something they've seen take place this week to do with um, a verdict from an inquest of the Hillsborough disaster uh, 27 years ago. So singing is something in the world out there, not just in the church, which is a way of identifying together. And, um, and for these pilgrims, they sing about what the world is like, about um, who it is that's with us right now. They're singing about what God is like, and they're singing about their destination. They're singing about Jerusalem. And as we go through these psalms, we'll see there's a different focus each time. Sometimes it'll be a focus on the world and what the world is like. Sometimes it'll be a focus on God and what God is like. Sometimes there's a focus on, on Jerusalem and what they're looking forward to and their hope and what it means to be in, in, in a community of God's people together. And so we are a people um, singing to God to celebrate what he's done. We also sing to encourage each other. So uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul writes, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're called uh, to do. We, we encourage each other when we get together like this and, uh, and sing. And sing, singing reminds us where we've come from, that God is with us right now and where he is leading us. Not to an earthly city or a, a, just a, an earthly community, but a heavenly one. A new Jerusalem, something far, far greater uh, than this world has to offer. And we sing because we have this longing in our hearts for heaven. And we're kind of homesick, we're, we're kind of restless until that day will come when we're actually there with God in a community where, where there are no cobwebs, there are, there are no sin that's tucked away in the corner of our hearts um, or the way that we are together, but a people for God, enjoying him forever. So remember, these are a singing people. They're not trying to earn God's favor. They've just been told to go on a holiday and enjoy it. Um, so they're singing on the road. But they're also, secondly, a devoted people. The people are devoted to God. They're devoted to one another. They're devoted to this journey. Being a pilgrim, going on this journey was not glamorous. It was not easy. When they set off, they didn't instantly arrive. There was hard work involved in the journey, and they were walking. They didn't have the coach. They didn't have it easy. And these are called songs of ascents because the people are ascending. They are going up. Why are they going up? Well, because Jerusalem on Mount Zion is one of the high points in Palestine. So if you're going to walk to Jerusalem, the chances are most of the way you're going uphill. So effort is involved. And and long journeys can be tough. Long journeys need perseverance. They um, uh, They need hard work. And sometimes if you've gone on a long journey, that question is asked, maybe by you, or by some other people around, are we nearly there yet? And sometimes going on holiday is wonderful, isn't it? You're kind of looking forward to when you'll arrive, but one way or another, however you're getting from home to holiday, it, it can sometimes take a while. And I can remember going on holiday, uh, growing up in Kent, and my dad would take us to Wales, going all the way across. Wonderful, wonderful, heavenly Wales. Um, And our journey 
my dad went through a phase of, of having vintage cars, classic cars. So I'm not that old, but the car was a, a Ford Cortina Mark II. Does, did anyone have a Ford Cortina Mark II the first time round when they were actually new? Beautiful. I loved it. However, it wasn't the most comfortable of rides. So for like hundreds of miles, just on the back seat, no headrest, just kind of lolling around, <laughs> bouncing around, the shock absorbers went like somewhere miles back. And are we nearly there yet? The, the, I think sometimes the car was thinking the same thing because we got into a small village in Wales and we're not even there yet. Uh, but every now and again, you know, this was a sort of car where the keys could fall out of the ignition and the car would still go. So like, what? That's crazy. That's madness. But we're still going. It's still working. And um, there's this kind of worrying moment where we stopped at some lights in the village and that was always a bad sign. Stopping was never great because you never quite knew if you were going to be able to start this thing up again. And we just left behind us. This shouldn't really happen, should it? Plumes and plumes of thick smoke. So this glorious, peaceful Welsh village. Everyone (coughs) is coughing behind us as the Ford Cortina is just about going to make it all the way um, to holiday. Um, So we can ask ourselves sometimes, are we nearly there yet? And also, is this going to be worth it? Because we've come a long way. And this hasn't been the most comfortable of rides. And following God on foot, it's not effortless. It's not easy. It's not instant. Every, Every answer to prayer isn't sudden and dramatic and wonderful. Is it worth it? Yes, it's definitely worth it. We're, and we're not called to, to go it alone, traveling just by ourselves. Christianity, from its earliest days, was not actually known as Christianity. It was known as the way. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we find out in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, that when Paul got letters so that he could go and persecute Christians, they're not called Christians, it was followers of the way. That's how they were known to start with. They were a people on a journey. Where's this going to end? Well, we've, we've left this behind us all that seems secure and safe. We're, we're stepping out now in trusting to follow this man, Jesus, who died and we believe rose again. And we're working out how to do faith in a world which is hostile towards him. And we don't know if we're nearly there yet. And we don't know how this is going to work out. We don't know how our lives are going to uh, conclude even. But we're trusting the one who leads the way. Right, we're going. Have you heard? Paul's after us. Let's just keep going. God's with us. And they were a people on on the way. And so time and again we'll be caused to ask ourselves as we go through these Psalms, how is your walk? How is your how's your walk? Sometimes we use the language of how is your personal relationship with God? which has some benefits to it. It's personal in that we really are called to know him and he knows us and he calls us by name. It is personal. It is a relationship. It's not just a, a pattern of behavior and a system to go through. It's, it's knowing him and being known by him. Nevertheless, sometimes personal relationship with God can perhaps be unhelpful. It misses the sense of actually we're part of a community. Yes, it's personal, but we're together. And yes, it's a relationship, but we can think, oh, well, sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not okay. The sense of walking is is actually a sense of, okay, it's not dramatic, it's not glamorous, but are we making progress? 
And it's not always smooth and easy, straight line progress. The path might have a few bends in it. Uh, we might stumble every now and again. But the question is, are we making progress in, in knowing him, in enjoying this faith and living it out and getting to know him more deeply? Learning to walk is exciting. It's something to celebrate when a toddler takes their first steps and they just get up onto their feet and they've done this for a few weeks now and they've taken a step. Yes! We go, wonderful! Excellent, keep going. And they fall down to the ground, but they persevere because they're getting so much encouragement. They, they stand up and they try again. And then, and then after a while, you're trying to stop them. <laughs> um, no, of course you aren't. Um, well, we, we want to be taking steps of faith. Um, and there are high points along the way, but sometimes walking with God, it's not glamorous, it's not effortless, it's not just high point after high point. Sometimes it's just keep going, one foot in front of the other. Let's not go back, let's not stop, not, let's not drift away. And that's why we need to be in community, that's why we need to be encouraging uh, one another, um, taking Steps, being devoted to him uh, in all of life, in every season of life, in the ups and downs of life as well. And as we turn to Psalm 120, which is, if you like, on this particular journey is our first step, you could be forgiven for going, oh, well, why, why does it start like this? It begins, I call on the Lord in my distress. It concludes with speaking of war. It's like, if the worship leader starts up with a minor chord, oh, that's not what I was expecting as the first, as the first song. First I was afraid. I was petrified. Well, that would probably be strange in a variety of ways. Um, <laughs> we think, no, no, let's get some momentum. Uh, let's uh, enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. Um, well, that's, that's, that's right. That's good. That's helpful. Uh, this journey starts with, oh, grim. And... Uh, Maybe that we can actually resonate with that sometimes. When the first song is striking up and the worship leader is doing their best to help us enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise, what we're most aware of is what we've just left behind. What we're most aware of is the situation we've just come out of. And sometimes there are some frustrations and some irritations that we just need to squeeze out from what this week has involved or... Uh, I don't think too many frustrations or irritations can come out before half past nine in the morning, but you never know. Um, That's what's happening for them. They've taken this first step on the journey, and they're most aware of, they're still thinking about the world that's behind them. What everyday life involves for them. The challenges of this world mean for them. They feel weary at the very start of the journey. So they're a singing people, they're a devoted people, but they take their first step on the journey and they're weary already. Verse 5, woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of cedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. They just, as a nation, they just felt surrounded um, by other nations they rubbed shoulders with, other people that were further away, but just that sense of everyone around us, the world around us is living by a completely different value system. And it's really hard to try and walk with God in the midst of just very different ideas about the importance 
of, well, in this matter, truth. The person who wrote this psalm was distressed. So what concerns you most about the world in which you live? It could be violence and bloodshed, war, terrorism. It could be greed and poverty, or the concern being poverty, arrogance or whatever. For these pilgrims, what's really getting to them are lying lips and deceitful tongues. People don't tell the truth. People don't value the truth. They're distressed. And there can be loads of examples of that for us living in the world. When we're listening to political debates about big decisions that we might face in our future, thinking, are they actually telling the truth? As a nation, we've got so much, so many lies are behind us. When we're trying to arrive to a decision and get to the truth, we're kind of just always left pondering. Is that honest? Is that fair? Are they telling the truth? Um, we can be aware of that. We can even be aware in, in, in realms of, of entertainment. Uh, it, it can always seem like truth doesn't really matter. The, the whole purpose is to be entertained. Um, and so there are, uh, there are companies uh, and websites, and their purpose is to proliferate what's called viral content. Their whole aim is to get us to click on a button and, and, and look at something that might be of some interest or humor or value. Um, it, you know, the 10 richest people in the world, click here and you scroll through and you see all the adverts they're trying to get you to look at. Um, and other things that are just there to be funny. Uh, I remember seeing one and it's totally trivial really. Um, but a journalist with microphone is stood um, by the, the seafront on a seawall, and it's stormy conditions, and a massive wave, big waves are crashing in, crashing over, and a big wave comes crashing in, and a fish flies and hits the journalist in the face. That's just funny. But what viral content does is it, we're drawn to this point of, was it really true? Oh, it doesn't really matter. And that can be a kind of value system that, that grows. Truth doesn't actually matter. And it's pointed out that actually, yes, the big wave came in, but there's someone stood behind the camera with a big fish just ready to throw it when the wave comes. So it's just something to get you to click on a button. It's just something to get, get us to waste our time and draw us away. Think, oh, is that really lying lips and a deceitful tongue? Well, we need to beware that we live in a society where truth doesn't really matter, and it, and it, but it does to us. So we've got a, a weary people, but where does this psalm lead us then? And just in conclusion, I'd like to suggest that it leads us to be a repentant people. What's the first step they take? The first step is kind of away, turning away from the world and turning towards God, turning, uh, turning back to him. This is what the psalmist who wrote this song is doing. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. He's made the choice to turn to God. And all these pilgrims have made the choice to set out. We're going to take this first step. We're going we're to start this journey here. And where does the journey start? 
It starts in, uh, in repentance and recognizing that the world lives under a lie. So if we go back to Genesis 3, we see how it all began for Adam, Adam and Eve when they've been living in the benefit of knowing and walking with God, they've been enjoying him. They've been enjoying living in truth. Therefore, just living at peace. They're at peace with God. They're at peace with one another. They're at peace with the world around them. The world is at peace with them. They're living in a, in a perfect paradise. And then what should happen, uh, but the Lord has obviously allowed um, the serpent, the surf, serpent is there, and in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he asks the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so lies have begun to come in. Because God never said you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden. He said there's one tree. Eat from all of the trees. But there's this one tree that you can't eat from. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did, did God really say the crafty serpent whispers. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here the serpent seduces tempts them, draws them away with an alternative to living in the good of God's truth. Oh, maybe God doesn't know what's best. Maybe there's a better way. And so the whole of the human race became their own God, became their own judge of truth, and we get to decide, we get to choose. Um, Jesus then comes and he speaks... uh, to people who are religious, they regard themselves as God's people. They regard themselves as Abraham's offspring. Um, but Jesus said to them in, in John chapter 8 and verse 42, If God were your father, you'd love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear uh, is that you do not belong to God. So this stark conversation describing the character of that crafty serpent, the devil, who introduced the lie. And humanity's first problem is we believed it. We believed, I, mm, I don't think God is so good after all. I don't think he is trustworthy. I don't think the Bible is true. I don't think that can be trusted either. Um, and, and then so we, we, we live a life or we began life um, independent of him, 
hostile to God, what's the first step then on the journey to this heavenly, wonderful, awesome community is repentance. Turn away from that. Recognize that God is true, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he speaks the truth, that he has the words of eternal life, that he is the judge, that God is the judge, and he's the better judge than I am. So I'm not going to trust my own judgment on all things. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to come to him. I'm going to turn away from the world, away from the world and the way, uh, away from the, wor- the way that the world thinks and judges things. I'm, I'm, I'm heading to him and I'm believing that God is the judge. That's what uh, the song includes in the middle. Verse 3, what will he do to you and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Notice that God's just and holy judgment towards these lying lips and deceitful tongues is not, obviously, one massive bomb causing huge collateral damage, everything taken out in sight. It's a warrior's sharp arrow that flies precisely and hits the right mark. It's God is right. He's just. His word and his truth is, is right on target. And if we experience the convicting work of the Holy Spirit because of his love, we can know that, oh yeah, that arrow, it's just got me. But actually, before that great and final day of judgment, that's a source of life. It just helps us to get right with God again. Oh yeah, I'm going to turn back to him. I'm not the judge. I'm not the Lord. And so actually within this, being a repentant people, noticing the, the, the holy judgment of God, there's comfort. I think as they're singing this song, they're realizing, I don't have to answer back. Whenever I open my mouth, I get fired at. I get attacked by other people's words. I get, I've been slandered. I've been accused. Um, I've been insulted or I've been put down. But I don't have to go on the attack myself. Why? Because I'm trusting God. Knowing that God is judge brings comfort. He's got everything in hand. I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to go on this pilgrimage. Brings a challenge as well, though, doesn't it? This psalm brings a challenge to us. Well, what about me? Have, have I drifted into the ways of the world where telling the truth well, it doesn't really matter? It doesn't rate that highly, actually. If we're going to put sin on a scale, there's much more serious things than telling a little lie. So, wow, we'll, we'll have a look again. God is absolutely holy. We find out in Numbers chapter 23 that God cannot lie. He doesn't change his mind. Proverbs chapter 6 tells us that lying lips are among the things that he hates. He hates anything that's, that's untrue. And so this challenge comes, have I, been, have I been lying? Have I been gossiping? Have I been slandering? Have I, have I used my words to try and just get what I want? Maybe you use a little bit of flattery over there. But the whole idea is I'm trying to, to kind of manipulate things by my words. Well, that's the way things work, isn't it? You've got to be assertive. You've got to um, put it across like that. could also be a, bring a conviction, brings comfort, brings challenge, brings a conviction. The whole world has a massive problem. Everything is not all right. See, that's the lie. 
That's the lie that we learn from infancy. Everything's basically okay. Everyone's basically good. It's just a few bad eggs. It's just a few rotten apples, and that's not me. Um, there's a lot of mess ar- around, but basically everything's okay. We can, we can live with that lie. Isaiah has a profound encounter with God. Let's just turn there um, briefly as well. If we turn to um, Isaiah chapter 6, he has this incredible vision of the glory of God filling the temple. His response to this, seeing the Lord who is holy, holy, holy with angelic beings, seraphs uh, flying around beside and around. Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6 and verse 5 is, Woe, woe to me, I'm, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs with the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So he is convicted of his own sin. It's, yeah, I live in a people of unclean lips, but actually that has, I'm involved. It's, my lips have been unclean as well. It's not everyone's basically okay and I'm basically okay. It's no, actually I've got a big, massive problem and the world has a big, massive problem. So what's the way? What is the way forward? There are lots of angry people trying to change the world. Getting drawn into conflict where perhaps they identify a particular people group a particular institution, not everyone, just this particular group, they're the problem. And if, and, if, and if they were no longer the problem, the world would be okay. And so maybe it's the government, they're the problem. Maybe it's the rich, they're the problem. Maybe it's the poor, they're the problem. Maybe it's my boss, he or she is the problem. Maybe it's those who are working, it's, they're the problem. And, um, and, and there can be good causes with angry people at the helm, trying to make it all work, trying to correct the system, always looking out there. Now, of course, we're called as God's people to be salt and light and to bring godly influence and stand up for for righteousness and truth and justice and peace. But we don't do that by just getting angry. We get that by taking that first step of repentance. When actually we put our eyes on ourselves, on the corners of my heart and my mind and the cobwebs that I might have just allowed to get there up the revolution but actually one is needed in here and that's the the first step in discipleship is recognising I need someone's help I need someone to break into my life I need someone to forgive me and so what is, what's the way forward? The way forward is turning away from the world and in repentance turning to Christ, turning to Jesus and saying to him, I know 
Lord Jesus. I believe that you have the words of eternal life. I believe that you never told a lie, but you, you preached, you taught, and you lived the truth. And you revealed what God is like. And because of your great love, you allowed God's judgment to fall on you in my place. That's what I need. Isaiah said, woe to me. I am ruined. Repentance involves coming to that place of realizing, I'm ruined. But look, God provided. For Isaiah, this coal was taken from the altar and it touched Isaiah's lips. I've atoned for your sin. I've taken away your sin. Now, go and Go and share. Now go and, as it were, stand up for truth and justice and speak and proclaim. But you do it on the basis of having met with God and having him deal with guilt. That's the first step. That's the step that we're taking here. That's the step I believe we're invited to take as we look at Psalm 120. Not just complaining about what the world is like, but actually, Lord, I need you. And I'm, I'm coming to you. It might even feel like a very weary step. I don't know if I have it in me. I see all these people going on pilgrimage. I see all these people walking with God. And I'm very impressed by it, but God, I'm not quite sure I've got it in me. Well, that's not the point. We take a step in faith, then knowing, actually, God's with us on the journey. He strengthens us on the journey. We trust him for the rest of the journey. I think we will always feel... Restless, homesick, on this earth. We'll always have a sense of yearning for something better. There will always be something. There will always be things that uh, reveal the rotten core of humanity. There will always be examples of injustice. Followers of Jesus can feel like an ethnic minority. We're just a small group. We're, We're kind of always against the tide. There are things about the world that we like. There are things about the world that we give thanks for. There are things about the world for which we can praise God because it reveals something of his good character and his power to create. But nevertheless, living life in the world can just make us feel weary and can perhaps bring us to the same point as these pilgrims and the person who wrote this psalm saying, I've had enough just had enough. If you're feeling like you've just had enough, don't stop walking. Don't stop coming to God. These people came to God when they felt distressed. And they met with God in the midst of all that frustrated them. And let's expect to receive his strength and help on the way. But if that first step was repentance... It's bound to be the case that from time to time we need to revisit it and say, Lord, what about me? This is where I'm at. Not that I might feel condemned and crushed and beaten down, but actually, Lord, you know the truth and you speak the truth and you see the truth and you know what's going on in here. I can't hide it from you and I don't want to try anymore. Come, I want to learn to have mastery over my own tongue, Lord. I want to learn by faith to use this for good. Because it can start a fire or it can build people up. I don't want to start a fire. I don't want to do damage. 
Walking with God is learning, is making progress, is one step after another. It's, it's not just a revolving door of, well, that's just who I am. I always fly off the handle at certain points. Oh, that's just me. That's just how I speak. That's just how I am. Well, actually, Lord, I want to learn. I want to grow in all of this. Finding hope, power to change, and encouragement from his word. So let's be a singing people giving thanks. Let's be a devoted people who are encouraging one another. Keep going. Keep making steps. Keep walking with God. A people who will, we will experience weariness and frustrations. But let's not allow that to make us bitter and uh, hard people. But let's come back. Let's turn to him. Let's repent. Let's be a people of peace. Who bring peace into a situation. Because we've met with God. Because we've taken a step towards him. Amen? Amen.